Here we go. Today is Sunday, July 29th, 2018, and this is episode 223 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hey, good evening, Jerry. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I am uh, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I'm I'm struggling to understand how it's already the end of July, though. I, I don't know either. Life is on fast forward, that is for sure. It is. Otherwise, good. Awesome, awesome. So, um, just uh, before we before we go any further, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Um, so that the first order of business we have had hanging over our head for a long, long time, and we're finally going to dispense with this is uh, we we have uh, two DerbyCon tickets in one training class to give away, and so we've um, you know we we uh, we consulted with a number of world-renowned experts in the area of, um, of donations and, and whatnot. And we have come to the conclusion that um, w- what we will do is solicit your recommendations for other uh, worthy recipients for this training class and, and uh, two DerbyCon tickets. You can send those either to our, uh, our Twitter uh, at DefensiveSec or to our email at, in, uh, sorry, info at DefensiveSecurity.org. And we will choose, I don't know, let's say next week or or maybe the week after. We'll see uh, We'll see what the response looks like. Yeah, no strings attached, no obligations. Uh, I would just ask, uh, for those who win, please don't resell it. Uh, you know, if you can't use it or end up not wanting it, then, then give it to another worthy person. We're, we're not... We're not just kicking us out here to, to make somebody some money. We want somebody to actually use it and uh, and get value out of it. That, that's right. That's right. So uh, next uh, next on our, our stop, uh, thank you to all of our Patreon donors. Appreciate it. Indeed. You. you guys are awesome. Thanks. If you, for some reason, want to join them, yes, you can find our Patreon site at? It's uh, you, you go to uh, defensivesecurity.org and there's a menu item. I think it's patreon.com slash defensive sec if you're interested nice all right just saying so um let's let's jump into some stories uh really quick really quick before we do uh DerbyCon. speaking of which uh i got selected to speak at which i'm very honored and uh, a little afraid of so i'll be speaking at DerbyCon this year that's pretty awesome so what's your what's your topic are you are you at liberty to say yet uh yeah no i can share it it's an updated version of the talk i gave in columbia on shifting our mindset of defense from purely technical to psychological. So, you know, the concept of a lot of attacks against our users and, and our organizations have psychological components. And how do we start thinking about that in terms of how we set up our defenses and think about protecting our companies? So uh, it's a talk I gave in Columbia earlier this year. And it's that was the first time I gave it. And I'm kind of this is version 2.0. I'm going to be doing updates too, and I am very, very pleased and honored and and humbled that they selected my talk. So hey, uh, hopefully I won't have an empty room. So if you're at DerbyCon, please uh, come to my talk. So I'm not alone. So it's NG. 
right? It's your top right next gen. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. Yes. Yeah, good. You're correct. Uh, with cloud uh, AI integration, I would expect nothing less. Yeah, that's pretty table stakes these days, isn't it? That's right. Uh, and um, you're going to be there too, right? I will you're, be there. I am not. Okay. I am not speaking, but I will be there. Absolutely. So you're going to be mute the entire conference. Mm, well, okay, yeah, you got me there. Yeah. So, anyway, let's uh, let's let's go ahead and get into stories so I can get back to work on a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have um, we have a, a, a number of hand-selected, wonderful cybersecurity articles for you this evening. The first one comes from the straitstimes.com, and the title is Personal Info of 1.5 Million Sing Health Patients, Including Prime Minister Lee Stolen and Singapore's Worst Cyber Attack. And, you know, the, the, there's actually no real details um, about what actually happened other than the, the, the data wasn't altered and apparently uh, allegedly the um, you know the, the prime minister himself was um, I guess a target of interest of the, the adversaries but I thought the response to this was pretty interesting the um, so Singh Health blocked internet access for all of its 28,000 workers and apparently other healthcare institutions in Singapore are doing the same. So that was um, an interesting reaction. Yeah, about the only detail they gave is that somebody's workstation was was breached, and that's how they pivoted into a database. Right. And so I guess they felt that this was somehow some sort of uh, browsing or, 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 or issue. Batting down the hatches. Yep. So, so anyway, it's... it's um, it, I assume that this was part of their, uh, you know, their response plan to implement that kind of control. But uh, I, you know, in some respects, I, I'm often frustrated when I see things like this because it feels like, um, you know, it feels like trying to paint the barn after it's burned down. You know. Yeah. In other words, you know, turning off everybody's internet access because because one one box got popped. Well. I mean, if they if they clearly haven't told us what's going on, uh, I'm, I'm assuming they know. I'm assuming they know what the uh, compromise route was, and maybe this is their way of triaging while they get you know key patches out or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, plug the hole in the dam while you shore it up, a kind of thing. I wish we had some more detail. It, it is. I mean, it does feel like a pretty brute force response, uh, but I mean, effective yeah. though. Probably effective. All right, so moving on to our next story. Um, this one comes from bankinfosecurity.com, and the title is LabCorp Still Recovering from Ransomware Attack. And when, when I first read this, I thought, gosh, didn't LabCorp go out of business? And no, in fact, that was LabMD, not LabCorp. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Right. Yes, yeah, so, um, so LabCorp is, is still alive and well. They are, I think, the U.S.'s largest uh, medical uh, testing provider. And uh, so, so they filed a special 8K with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, citing that they had detected suspicious activity on their networks uh, the weekend of July 14th. Um, they didn't specify, but but um, apparently some inside sources of the the reporter here at uh, LabCorp 
indicated that this was uh, a, a, apparently a SAM-SAM attack that was delivered via, you know, drumroll please, um, an, an RDP attack. So brute force on a internet exposed RDP server. And, uh, and then the attacker used that to push the malware to, uh, quote, thousands of systems and several hundred production servers. So I, I, yeah, I, I want to, healthy. yeah, yeah. I, I want to just take this time and say, please, 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 please do not expose RDP like that to the internet. Please. Right. <laughs> so uh, based on that population count that was compromised, I've got to assume that some domain credentials were popped I or would... domain admin credentials and that allowed the, the spread. Yeah. I, it's pretty, pretty clear. That's exactly what, what happened. So, so backing up on the story just a bit for those who may not know what an eight K form is, it's kind of interesting. Uh, and it is telling. So for a public company in the U S uh, it's, it's used to notify investors uh, of types of events that might be important to shareholders uh, that would have a material impact on the company's potential earnings and other issues. So it's uh, it's basically like something big happened and we need to tell you about it, uh, which is scary, right? And it's it's and honestly sometimes that's how we find out about these things is when they're forced to file these forms or when their annual or quarterly stuff comes out. They have to disclose there, and that is often how we find out about some of these big breaches is through the uh, public filings they have to do for their public stock. Yeah, and and uh, you know I'll say that um, in in probably the last two or three years, the SEC has done a, a bunch of saber rattling towards public companies in the U.S. You know, basically warning them that they you know they they really need to disclose when an event like this happens. And I think they even find they levy to fine. I, I, I don't remember the the amount earlier this year. I think it was against uh, Yahoo for their their failure to disclose the the breach in a timely manner. So, um, so yeah, it's um, you know you, this. You're right. This is the way we often find uh, find out about things. Um, but back to their particular compromise, man. I, you know how widespread this went tells me they probably didn't have much segmentation. Uh, the the probably most of the all of the Microsoft um, you know protocols were open between all the various hosts that were popped and, and once you get in with these types of ransomware and these types of self-spreading uh, you know pieces of malware it's ugly uh, so you know there's a couple of things we can take away from this obviously anything internet facing or public facing uh, make sure you're doing some sort of two-factor I think is a, is a safe thing uh, besides that you know, think about how you want to segment and limit the spread of something. So, you know, one person gets on one workstation and they can hit most of your organization. That's bad. That's just, you know, I know it's easy for people to run that way and, and manage that way, but it makes this sort of thing a nightmare when this happens. Yeah. You know, this is, this is one of those times where I, I think it's, it's certainly good to have backups, but you know, when, when you, when your entire IT environment is, is hosed up. It can take even if you have good backups, it can take a long, long time to recover. And so, I, you know, that kind of goes back to the point that if um, you know, if we consider that ransomware is a it was a threat that's going to be with us for a while, it, 
especially in, in the context of organizations, it certainly seems like we're seeing a move away from the, you know, the onesie twosie, um, you know, attack vector towards the kind of more mass, mass casualty approach using things like SamSam. You know, it, it, it makes sense for us to think about designing the, you know, the, 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 the method of backups and recoveries in a in a way that is optimized for time to reco- time to restore so and, and that's yeah. that's going to be really dependent on on many factors about you know the, the organization like is it mostly in the cloud is it you know and so on so well you know the other thing i'm thinking about is there's a, a whole lot of things you can do to harden how passwords and hashes and authentication is handled within your Active Directory. And a lot of organizations may not be doing that or, or following some of the latest ways of harding that. So take a look, long, hard look at how your AD creds and, and authentication is functioning in your organization. And there's a ton of good documentation out there from Microsoft about mitigating a, all the common attacks and making it a lot harder for people to grab uh, hashes, grab passwords, and then use them and replay them throughout the organization. So something to think about. Yeah, and and definitely uh, turn off those open RDP. Oh yeah, servers. Uh, that's you know we. It's, it seems like that is a uh, an epidemic problem. All right, that so or Team Viewer. You know, that yeah, Team Viewer is another one. Although I haven't seen Team Viewer popping its ugly head up in uh, in breaches lately, but. Um, I'm sure it's happening somewhere. All right, so uh, moving on to our next story. This one comes from securityweek.com, and you know, a, a um, we need to have like a, um, you know, a marketing fluff warning. And and if 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 we did that, you would be hearing that right now. So uh, this this is a study by Carbon Black. It's written you know, it's written in cooperation or in. You know, based on an interview with someone from Carbon Black. So it's highly Carbon Black-centric, right? But the title here is A Cyber Axis of Evil is Rewriting the Cyber Kill Chain. That's an amazing title, by the way. uh, I'm going to need a moment to process that level of buzzwordiness. That is one heck of a title. That is... (laughs) <laughs> that, uh, wow. Yeah. You know, I think that would probably get shut down by most of my anti-spam just for that title alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's a very long article that I think could probably be summarized in like two or three bullet points. Um, n- number one was uh, you need to, uh, especially when you are engaged with a with an, a- an APT-style adversary, you need to develop more silent hunting techniques. You need to be aware that more of these adversaries are implementing secondary C2, secondary command and control channels, sometimes on a sleep cycle, which, by the way, says it kind of reinforces something that we've talked about a lot. You know, when you have a, a, a compromised system, the only way to be sure is to rebuild. Um Non-ransomware data destruction is becoming a thing. Um, They declare that China, North Korea, Russia, and Iran are the, quote, cyber axis of evil because they have some apparently uh, informal or formal treaty between them that they don't launch cyber attacks. 
And then the uh, the last bullet would be that um, all of the stuff they recommend in this article, of course, is uh, possibly possible by uh, Carbon Black. Oh, there's another one in there that um, they really took a, they, they took a moment to really slap the snot out of CrowdStrike too. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that yeah? was uh, that was pretty good. In what sense? Um, I'm trying to find the uh, okay. So. Uh, I'm going to read a quote here. There's a fundamental lesson we need to take away from this. He said, we have to become more clandestine and more quiet when we hunt the adversary in our homes. We can no longer shout out, I know you're in my house. I've called the police. That is exactly what CrowdStrike did when it was responsible for investigating the DNC breach. Dot, dot, dot. So that is, you know, one of the main thrusts of this article we haven't really breached yet is, is they are touting that we need to be silent in our investigation until we're ready to to do a mass eviction. Correct. And that if we tip our hand that we're on to them, they may take destructive measures. Yes. I, I, I will tell you I have a, a hard time agreeing with that. I think that that is very situational. I think that depends on what you're seeing going on. If I'm seeing exfiltration of absolutely critical data, I'm going to probably stop that immediately. Uh, and, you know, write out other follow-on consequences. Uh, you know, there may be time where it's better to have systems be reformatted by the bad guys than it is to let data exfiltrate. So I don't know that I agree with this silent hunting thing that they're saying. I, I, I can see some value. You want to get some idea of scope of the situation. You want to kind of have an idea of what you're doing. But to say that we need to have full, complete understanding of everything the bad guy is doing before we do anything that might alert them that we know they're on to them, I think, A, is difficult uh, to do, first off. I think that that's very non-trivial. Uh, I think those who are saying you can do it are pimping their tools that you know enables that. Uh, two, I think it doesn't always make sense in every situation. I think there's plenty of times where you may want to start taking aggressive action uh, because if you let them burrow in deeper and, and continue to migrate around your organization and move ladder around the organization, they can be establishing new beachheads. They can be establishing new command and control exfiltration routes. They can be doing more stuff. And if I start diverting their resources to fighting to maintain presence in the environment, that gives them less opportunity to start probing my environment. So I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot I don't agree with in this article. Um, but to be honest, it's worth thinking about for your organization to see if it makes sense and based on what kind of breach you're dealing with. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly of two minds on this. Um, on, on the one hand, one of the challenges I think we, we have going in is that there's the, this fog of war, right? When you know, most organizations of any size are, are kind are constantly dealing with some kind of, some kind of problem or other, right? And and you know you 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 can't you can't assume that they're all APTs, right? You you know you have to have a have some ability to triage and and um, and respond quickly where it makes the most sense. I think there is some significant value in some of the the recommendations they make here because you you know you do especially in a larger environment you really do need to figure out to the extent you can um you know where where they're where they're at and so there's there's a ton of value in that the problem i think is and and they don't do a good job of 
saying this, you know, it's it's kind of too late to do that once you're in the middle, right? And, and so you really have to have that uh, visibility kind of already baked into the environment. And you know, the downside is, so so I, I, in a way, you're you're absolutely right. You know, if you see something bad going on, you know, you want to stamp out the fire. <clears throat> no question. The problem is, if you if you do that, and the and the point of this article is that in in the process of doing that, they're going to go quiet, right? And you, you're going to be kind of in a in a position where you only know what you've seen, and so you're gonna you're gonna kind of be forced to go in and and remediate what you know. Uh, but you're probably not going to have um, you had the luxury of in uh, time to see all the places they've been in your your network. Now, the flip side of that is, even if you are silent, there's no guarantee that you're able to see all those that stuff anyway. So it's um, I, I don't think there's a perfect answer here, right? And I and I certainly think that you know from their perspective. You know they're they're providing tools that enable that kind of thing, and and so you know wh- whatever. But you know, this is a this is a tough problem, and I think a lot of you know a lot of organizations that have suffered with this, um, you know, can can uh, appreciate the the struggles here. Um, you know, but again, th- I, I think this we, we've talked about this. I think over the years, one of the I think one this is kind of, kind of comes down to a management a fundamental management philosophy that each organization has to you know assess on their own are you are, are yeah. you an organization who's going to you know put the tourniquet on right away or are you an organization that's going to um to write it out you know look and and um you know try to try to to really understand what's going on and and that takes um, you know th- th- that takes strong leadership either way right because there's consequences either way you go right and and uh, that that I don't think by the way is something that should be decided in the incident response team or by the CIO I mean this is a this is like a a, a very senior level management strategy discussion and ideally determined uh, upfront before you're in the middle of a crisis yeah. Yes. Yeah. As with Making most a decision of the, right. Yeah. On the fly is usually not the best way to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh but you know it's also hard to predict every every outcome, right? Plans rarely survive contact with the enemy. It's good to have plans, but sometimes they may not follow your expectations. Yeah, correct. And and as I was uh as I was rightly corrected in in the past, it was Mike Tyson who said everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yes. Right. Mike Tyson yes. was the the guy who uh, runs the chicken place down in South South. Uh, Is that Georgia, the one right? you got into a fight with the other day? And he punched you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, um, so moving on to our next story. Uh, this one comes from Ars Technica. The title here is "One Million Dollar Heist on Russia Bank Started with Hack of Branch Router." Wow. Yeah. So there's a. Um, a, a, a you know truth in advertising named group called the Money Takers, which I think is just a, a phenomenal name for a, a a group that steals money from banks. Um, so uh, pretty, I would say, 
unsophisticated entry point. They apparently are attacking vulnerable um, you know, Soho-type routers that banks have set up at their uh, their branches. Sure. And and then the, the you know in grand fashion, right? The bank has apparently set up VPN tunnels from their their central office to each of the branches. Uh, you know, terminating that VPN on this router, you know, and, and so <clears throat> the, um, the attacker is able to, you know, kind of get back into the, into the uh, bank's main network uh, via this compromised router. And, um, and apparently they, I, I guess nobody segments anymore. That must be like old outmoded stuff. I mean, the, like, <laughs> I, I, that's, that's all I can tell. Is yes, so so the attackers apparently were able to get access to this um, you know, this. I, I guess it's like a. Um, it's almost like to me, it sounds like this, a Swift terminal, but it's something. It's a. It's a. It's called the automated workstation client of the Russian central bank, and it's the. It's a terminal apparently they used to uh, to move money around, and so they um, they they stole about a million bucks, and this is just one um, you know one event of many and apparently they've they've gotten quite a look look they just were exposing the bug and they self-fulfilled the bug bounty yeah yeah for so look at how much time they saved on the paperwork look how much time (laughs) they saved on all look they were just just cut out the middleman right full service bug bounty pen testers they just cut cut the middleman right out it makes makes uh makes good sense uh, so so you know once they got in apparently they they made use of the um, the highly sophisticated APT style attack of using PowerShell slash fileless. So I guess you know by the way if you hear fileless malware that apparently now means PowerShell. That is um, <laughs> well, that is just, well it doesn't mean only that. <laughs> that is uh, what, that is common yes, but it just means that there's no actual file being written to a hard drive it just stays resident in memory yeah no, is... no i'm I, I know i'm just saying that um, in all of but, these but, in, in all of these articles that they, they equate the two but our listeners depend on us to give accurate information jerry fair, fair enough it, I'm, i apologize if you were not able to just detect got, my sarcasm in that comment just, yeah you gotta use okay. the sarcasm font all right <laughs> all right so um, no no i hear you though yes yeah. so so it, really by leveraging PowerShell, it does have a file. It's just a, a signed and approved file called PowerShell. Yeah, correct, correct. Now I'm just now I'm just losing it. Yeah. So, so anyway, I think this kind of goes back to kind of fundamentals, right? We and we've talked about this too in the past <clears throat> that a lot of a lot of these uh, these kind of obscure, you know, sophisticated um, attacks happen as a result of just kind of sloppily designed IT. Yeah. And, and or not I would say uh, also or potentially uh, budget saving, right? Yeah, the the line between sloppy IT and budget saving is really fuzzy. It's true. I know something else that's budget valued and sloppy, but we're not going to talk about that. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so anyhow, when you, when you think about, when you think about that, right, you're, 
if you're an organization, whether you're a bank or not, right, you're every one of these endpoint, every one of these nodes is a, you know, is a, is a place you have to defend. And especially if you are allowing kind of free and clear access back into your, into your home office, you know, that, well, first off, that's probably not a winning strategy. Um, but likely very common. But it is obviously very common. Uh, you know, so again, I, I think that you know, this is one of those things where another example where a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of forethought in designing and laying out networks and segmentation will save a lot of pain. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it may cost a little more money, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, and, and by the way, like that, that takes away, you know, if you, if, you, if you design the IT right, we get, we get out of, you know, the rat race of, oh my gosh, is it, you know, we moved from, you know, file-based malware to fileless, you know, memory injected PowerShell attacks. You know, it, it, that, that's a, that's an arms race that, it's crazy to keep playing. Like we gotta, we, I, I think we've got to get back to fundamentally uh, designing it better. And whether, by the way, whether that's so, it, green screens and mainframes. Well, yeah, that is actually what I was thinking. Right. I, I'm all I'm saying was there were not fish, phishing emails were not successful when we were using, you know, Elm and mutt and, and pine to read our email on a green screen. I, I'm just saying, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying really hard to find some flaw in your logic, but I'm having trouble. Yeah, yeah. Now, how many times? How many times have you heard of of uh, like links getting owned? Like, you know, I <laughs> just. I think I, I think I know what my next uh, pwn to win contest is going to be all about. <laughs> All right. So um so moving on to the last story. This one um was by the way pretty pretty hotly requested and and um I'm I'm going to warn you. It's a it's a highly political story here in the US and I am uh, I'm I'm kind of looking at it more from a from the perspective of the interesting uh, security aspect and not the political aspect. So yeah, as as a rule, we don't typically talk any sort of politics on this show. So th- there's there's a reason why you don't hear us talk about this much at all because it gets so political, uh, and we typically shy away. But as you said, Jerry, there's some really good juicy uh, technical info in here. Yeah, and that that was why I wanted you know, I wanted to discuss it. So we we often don't get a ton of interesting information about some of the more sophisticated attacks but sometimes when um you know when when it is a political thing it's because it's uh, you know it's it's associated with a government entity or political party and so you know therefore we do get to see something and that's that's the case here so of course i'm talking about the recent announcement of of charges uh, by the u.s against 12 russian um, intelligence officers for hacking into allegedly hacking into the uh, Democratic National Committee back in 2016 and you know again there's a there's a whole lot of um, a whole lot of pol- political hoopla behind this and you know I, I'll say this kind of up front that 
in aggregate, your perception about this is probably mostly colored by, you know, whether you're blue or red, right? But, you know, having said that, there's... And, and for those not in the U.S., that, that's, yeah. those colors are associated with our two primary political parties. Yeah, red is Republicans, blue is Democrats. Yep, sorry. Yeah. So, so um, but, but, you know, th- there certainly is quite a lot of um, political insinuation in the actual indictment. But there's also a lot of, you know, what I'll, what I assume are much more firm and hard facts, or, or at least they're, they're presented as such. And that's what I wanted to, to discuss. So for the record, uh, this particular article came from Bleeping Computer. Yes. Uh, and it's U.S. charges 12 Russian intelligence officers with hacking. Oh, so for hacking the DNC and running DC leaks. Uh, but we pretty much ignore the article and go straight to the indictment that they link to. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the indictment's not actually that long. And a lot of it, I think, is, is actually talking about some of the back and forth discussions about who contacted who, asking for, um, you know, information about the, the, um, you know, the campaign. You know, I, I'm, I kind of ignore all that and kind of go straight to the, 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 the juicy bits, which really talk about how, uh, how they penetrated the DNC's network. And so they, it apparently started off with a phishing email to the chairman of the DNC claiming to be from Google, uh, from Gmail. It was, a, it was purporting to be a security alert and, and you know, tricked. And I think at the time, or at least um, I remember sometime in the past this, this came to light, but you know, basically, if you want to, if you want to trick a person into doing something, you know, putting it in the guise of a security issue is usually a winning strategy, and this apparently worked. And they they had access to, yeah. So they just asked him to reset his password, right? Correct. Yeah, and they and had access. That's to all. That's all it took. Fifty thousand emails. Okay. So, so so let's back this up. This is a very simple, straightforward phishing attack. Right. They they basically sent an email saying, "Hey, change your password," and pointed him to a fake, duplicate-looking website to update his password, and that allowed them to capture his static password and get into his entire Gmail account, just like that. Yeah, which which by the way, conveniently had fifty thousand emails in it. Also, by the way, not a nation-state level technique. No. no. Right. So. Be very careful. I, I'm going to go on a quick aside here. A lot of organizations are starting to talk about how these nation-state techniques and these, you know, uh, state-sponsored techniques. And again, that is such a slippery, difficult slope to climb. Here's an example of, if we take everything at face of value, a clearly state-sponsored, clearly nation-state level attack using one of the simplest methodologies we know of. Uh, to do what they need to do. Yeah, and and I, you know, I'll I'll say it's it's interesting that nothing in here was, you know, what you would think of as kind of you know tra- traditionally nation state level stuff. I mean, it's all it's all fishing basically, and and uh, and basic social engineering stuff. So, um, so then uh, so they 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 obtained the chairman's um, email emails and then I think they were subsequently posted um, they they sent a, a phishing email to another campaign member 
and 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 you know this again traditional i think this is kind of in line with your talk right traditional social engineering they um you know they made it look like it was coming from another person in the campaign and it and it was sending them to a link that looked very much like one associated with uh, the campaign itself it was off by one letter in the domain name and it linked to a excel file that was you know um it was complimentary to the Clinton campaign. You know, I, f- I forget the exact wording, right? But it was something that if you were part of that campaign, you probably would want to read, you know? Um, and, and yeah, you know, it was Hillary Clinton favorable ratings. There you go. Right. Dot XLS, I think is, if mm-hmm. I recall. Uh, and, and so, so they, um, they installed a, uh, some malware called X agent, uh, which, reported to a server that that uh, the Russian team had allegedly leased in Arizona. You know, and so so when you start thinking about, well, you know, I would certainly know if if the Russians were in my network because, you know, we don't allow, uh, you know, Russian traffic into our network. Well, you know, you don't necessarily know where they're coming from, right? It's kind of trivial to stand up a server someplace else. Yeah, or breach a server someplace else. Right, exactly. Um, and and so uh, so they were collecting keylogs using this malware. They were collecting keylogs and screenshots, uh, and they were exfiltrating data to yet a different server that they had rented in Illinois. Um, and then there's there's an interesting allegation in one of the charges about how the DNC had become aware in in uh, in May 2016 that they had been. Uh, breached and so they took action and I think that by the way this ties back to the you know, the article about bl- uh, carbon black where CrowdStrike had done some you know had been pretty noisy and that sent the attackers uh, underground and uh, what apparently what happened was uh, the DNC on their network they had a Linux system which they had implanted a kernel bug they in, implanted a um, a kernel Trojan, uh, which later, you know, beaconed out and they, they were able to maintain persistence, um, through that, through that means. And so, you know, they, I, from their perspective, as I, if I I read between the lines, they thought they had evicted the adversary, but there was still this, um, you know, this method of persistence that they didn't know about. And that, by the way, is what really what that carbon black, focused article was really talking about was, you know, you're, if you don't do a good job, if you don't do a thorough job of understanding where they're at, you don't have a good, you don't have a level of confidence that you know where they're at and and therefore you don't know that they're gone for good. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, That is an interesting problem. Uh, um, yeah, I don't want to rehash that again, but <laughs> you know, knowing whether they're gone or not still goes to the same problem, knowing if they're there or not. Oh, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and then uh, and then there was really only one other area that I thought was pretty interesting. At one point they had, um, this was after, you know, I, I believe it was in, in time, it was after they had been evicted. Um, they regained access to the DNC network and then actually obtained access into a cloud analytics setup that, that the DNC has, had, uh, had created. And 
the way they copied the data out of that was was pretty interesting. They actually uh, used the snapshot functionality that the cloud provider off- offered, so that they weren't actually dealing with the you know the the live instance of the data. They snapped a clone of the database, and then they did you know they copied they copied the clone. And and so from the perspective, you know, if, even if we were watching that live system, you probably wouldn't have detected that somebody underneath was, uh, was had snapped a clone unless you were actually watching the AWS. I'm assuming it's AWS. If you're watching yeah, that the is, account. That is pretty clever. That is very clever. So again, point is it, it's um, nothing in this is really that sophisticated. I mean, you could do all this stuff with like, um, you know, Kali Linux Right. And Jerry knows because he's actually the DNC hacker. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke. Yeah, yeah. Please don't arrest my co-host. So, um, so yeah, and you know the, the rest of the in, the rest of the indictment talks a lot about um, you know being in contact with different different people in in the media and and whatnot and search, searching for keywords in the uh, in the DNC systems and whatnot, but. It's all, it's all kind of um, beside the point. And, you know, it's easy to say, hey, this would have stopped it because we know in hindsight what the attack vector was. Interesting thing on that is let's say we could say, hey, if he'd only used two-factor authentication, he could have stopped the initial attack. Yeah, that's true. However, that's also assuming that the bad guys never try something else. Uh, you know, the bad guys only have to be as smart as what works. But either way, hey, use two-factor authentication. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, it, it, it certainly helps. And I think you're right, it's especially if you are in the sights of a of a nation state who, who I mean, you know, very, very likely they probably would have found some other equally pedestrian way to get, you know, to, to, to accomplish their their goals. I think that in, in, um, in my in my view, the, the most important thing, especially about it a crew like this is the P in the APT. You know, it's not, not that they're super advanced. It's just that like, that's their job apparently. Yeah. You don't have to be, this is my frustration. Whenever we, companies are playing this get out of freeze card of, Oh, it was really advanced tech. Um, most of it in a nation state, <laughs> they don't have to be all that advanced and they still work. Cor- correct. Right. right. So, you know, anyway, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't solve the problem. Anyway, it's um it, it's an interesting read. It, it gives you some insight into the activities of you know one of the you know more quote sophisticated uh, threat actors. Um, you know, again, not not all that sophisticated, right? So, um, and and by the way, I I suspect that if it were more sophisticated, we may not actually be reading about it because you know there may be tradecraft in there that people don't want to become public. I don't know. Well, and this is the one thing I was going to say too is is the the problem with this entire thing is that when you're dealing with nation level diplomacy, you never know. You know, we go back to looking at the Cold War. You never know what in here is purposefully in here as a what's the word I want to use? You know, a, a statecraft level communication or maneuver that has very little to do with reality but has to do with what the state department or whomever the administration wants to send what message they want to send to russia and 
yeah, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the techniques in here are still interesting. They're valid. They're plausible. Uh, and they're worth thinking about. And, um, you know, it's it's stuff that we need to know about to defend our networks. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and this is the, this is the kind of stuff that non-state actors are using, too. So, um and, and yeah. from that perspective, I thought this was was really interesting as a you know, as to take as a learning uh, learning case. So, indeed, you know, read it, think about what it means for your you know for your group. There's there's probably some um, you know some lessons in here that are, are worth uh, pondering. So, uh, anyhow, that is uh, that is the show for this week. Um, I I do apologize for uh, not doing one last week. Um, last weekend, my son. Uh, was getting his Eagle Scout award, so that was um, took up a lot of time last weekend. You and your priorities are way out of whack. I know, I know, I know. but that is pretty awesome. Congrats to him. Thank you. I'm very proud. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, thanks again. Have a great week. Anything else uh, you want to say before we? Uh, we close uh, it out? I will unfortunately not be in Vegas for uh, summer camp. So no Black Hat, no DEFCON, no B-Sides Las Vegas for me. I don't think for you either. No. Nope, nope. So, But for those going, be safe. Have a good time. Keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. Be, be polite. Jesus Christ, people. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Try, let's try to limit the drama. Let's get back to talking about the, the interesting research. Uh, that's a different that's a different rant uh otherwise no that's it uh thanks everybody if you like our show hey drop us some itunes love that's right we, uh we are motivated by that and and this show brought to you by the republican national convention no i'm kidding <laughs> right with that we'll t- we'll talk again take care <laughs> see you bye. guys bye